Steve, happy, uh, I would say Monday. I know it's not Monday, but I am blanking on what day today is. Happy Thursday. <laughs> happy Thursday. The Thursday minute of the week. So the Thursday <laughs> minute. Is we've, we've tried to schedule this every day this week, and it's <laughs> uh, just been that busy. We keep kept putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. I had to fly up to Seattle yesterday to go visit the sew shop and check in on stuff, so it didn't happen yesterday, so here we are on Thursday. Yeah, it took us four days to get to the Monday Minute that normally happens Monday morning. I like it. Good good news is guys' packs are shipping right now and going out every day, and that's that's been the priority. I feel, I know I promised a bunch of video content and, and all sorts of stuff, but it's just been all hands on deck out in the warehouse. Everyone here has been out there just shipping and way behind on emails and other stuff we wanted to get done, but uh, getting pack shipped was the priority and then kind of that superseded getting anything else done. But yeah, I mean, at this point, might as well just shoot some really cool product videos from Alaska, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Technically it's opening day of deer hunting. I should be out there right now, but yeah, here you I should am be. You got a, you got oh. a tag, but you're on a podcast. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> well, it only takes you like a few hours to shoot a deer. So just go sneak away you know, Saturday morning, get it done real quick, get back and help people ship. Cause I know there'll be more stuff going on Saturday too. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be, uh, sh- I know we'll have people in here over the weekend. Hopefully I get out and go hunt. So, um, but yeah, we'll continue to ship and get caught up and keep rolling. Sweet. So we do have, uh, I'm glad we finally got to this cause we've had some guys reaching out by email. Um, just, you know, some rapid fire questions we'll call them, um, that we'll tackle this Monday minute. And you haven't seen these, so you can just fly by the seat of your pants, Steve. But just wanted to mention as well, next week we're doing essentially elk week. So we'll have an episode every day next week, Monday through Friday, with a new topic. Basically like the roundtable series we did in July, but specifically for elk topics. Um, And then with some awesome guests. So that'll be launching Monday. Excited about that. Um, So yeah, stay tuned for that. But for now. All right random rapid fire listener questions for this Monday slash Thursday minute. All right. Guy has a question on splitting meat. He says, once I become successful and have elk meat in my new exo pack, how do I decide to divide it up with my hunting party? When you get home, does the shooter keep it all? Do you divide it equally somewhere in between question mark? So first thought, Steve. Oh uh, man, that's just, <laughs> that's a tough call. Um, I think, most guys, if they're hunting and, you know, two unselfish dudes hunting and they're both, you know, one guy's, uh, the non-shooters as motivated to get his buddy killed an elk, um, then, then yeah, you need to split meat. Um, you know, and it also just depends on who you are and what you're doing. I don't, I don't know. Two guys that come out from Missouri, uh, I would split the meat and, you know, if I was hunting with Lenny and I, we've never split meat before. Um, you know, that's just, but, uh, we're also, you know, He's probably gonna have deer in the freezer or something. I mean, there's gonna be some options there. So yeah, uh, yeah. I guess that's a judgment call. I don't know how to answer that one. Yeah, I would say it's a judgment call slash. I would also say if you're specifically going on a hunt, and especially like Steve, you mentioned, say it's an out of state hunt or some sort of special hunt, I would have that conversation before it happens, not after it happens, or just leave it up to like assuming that yeah, my buddy's going to give me meat because maybe he's not thinking that you will or maybe he's thinking that you will. I mean, who knows? But like for me, um, I've definitely had those conversations like, hey, me and Jared, we're going to Colorado. We're going to try, you know, to kill an elk. We have two tags. Not only how will we split meat, but how are we approaching the hunt? Like are we taking turns who shoot or collar? All that stuff, man. If you're If you're hunting in a partner setup and especially with elk hunting where – 
you use that as a strategy. Um, again, caller shooter. Man, if you call in a bull and your buddy shoots it, yeah, it's your buddy's bull, but I mean, you're helping him. So in yeah. my opinion, like you deserve something there unless, <laughs> unless as you mentioned, Steve, like say it's you and Lenny and it's no big deal. You're both probably going to kill an elk. Like, so opportunity also matters. Yeah. Um, so if it's one big hunt and potentially only one tag gets filled, I think, I think the meat should be split somehow. Um, but yeah, if it's just like, yeah, we're both going to kill a few deer this year or kill an elk this year, then it's obviously not as big of a deal, but yeah, I would, I would say more than anything, talk about it up front, just be direct instead of waiting for something to happen. And you know, you don't want to ruin a friendship or a hunting partnership based off of somebody's feelings getting hurt or whatever. Yeah. So if I was two guys traveling out of state to do a hunt, I would, I would talk about it, but more than anything, I would say just split the elk meat. I mean, yeah, uh, cause the guy who's doing the calling, I mean, the, there's the shooter and then there's the guy who's doing the calling and, um, and, and a typical setup and both are equally as important. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a, a good caller can take a shooter out and they can get an elk killed and not necessarily the skills of the shooter, right? It was the, yep. the guy who was doing the calling. So, um, yeah, I would talk to your buddy, get that split, agree to that. And then you could both, if meat is uh, an important part of the hunt for you anyways, uh, then get that split. And then you can both kind of hunt unselfishly knowing if either one of you gets an elk, uh, someone's getting meat. Yeah. And I would say if you don't know how to raise that conversation, like maybe you're hunting with somebody new, I would raise that conversation by going, hey, man, I just want you to know if I shoot an elk, I'm going to split the meat with you. And hopefully if you're hunting, but he's not a complete loser, he's going to go, yeah, same for me, man. Like if I shoot something, we'll split it. It's like, that's a, it's, it could be as easy as that. Um, hopefully if you say, Hey, I just want you to know I'm going to split my elk with you if I shoot one. And he's like, Oh, that's cool. I appreciate that. If I shoot one, I'm keeping everything new hunting buddy. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Cause not, not because of the meat, but because clearly this guy's not hunting with you in a, uh, like selfless way, which is, I think really important. Absolutely. So, anywho, um, yeah, have that conversation. Next one, um, this guy wrote in, it will be his first Western hunt. He's just wondering what it looks like um, for planning to hang food at night, leave food at camp, etc. Um, so, he's saying he's not overly concerned about bears, but he was thinking about hanging it just to be safe. Um, he also said just the logistics of having like a food cache of four to five days set aside versus just, you know, uh, having all that in your pack at the time. For me, this boils down to your hunting style. If you're moving all day, if you're doing the Steve Speck and hunting camp with camp on your back, um, and you might be in one spot tonight, but then you're picking everything up and you could be at another spot tomorrow. I wouldn't hang it like that night. You're just going to be there for sleeping hours. Just leave your food, um, in your pack, wherever, if you are going back and it kind of sounds like that's what this guy's doing and it's kind of setting up like a backcountry base camp and hunting out of that camp for four or five days and you're going to be in that same spot for four or five days, I probably would hang my food, um, not just for bears, but even other little critters like, you know, mice, what have you, just getting into stuff. It's just nice to have it hung and set aside. And since you do have like an established presence for four or five days there, um, there's just that much more likelihood of, of something getting into that food versus saying, I'm going to be here for eight hours tonight and tomorrow I'm going to be somewhere else. Don't hang it. Any other thoughts there, Steve? Um, no, yeah, I think, uh, I, I thought you started off about talking about hanging meat. 
Um, oh, no, sorry. He was just asking about his food. You know, if he's packing in for four or five days, should he hang his food? Should be, he be worried about bears? Yeah, I mean, I, I think hang. I wouldn't be more worried about bears. I'd be more about mice and chipmunks and crap like that that chew on stuff. Um, so, yeah, I guess if, if you had a base camp, um, I would just hang it. I'd have a little dry bag or something and just hang in a tree limb nearby just to keep critters out of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think anything you don't want chewed up is a good idea just to get it off the ground. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I typically carry, a, I want to say it's like a 13-liter dry bag. Um, and it's a pretty good size for four to five days of food. Um, much more than that, it's kind of overflowing out of there, but yeah, just to give like a ballpark size, if guys are wondering something like a 13 liter, definitely a 20 liter would be more than plenty, um, to hold probably like a week's worth of food, but yeah, could definitely be a good option. It bears probably aren't going to be an issue, but yeah, as we mentioned, probably good to do. All right. So this one, this one burns a little bit, Steve, this next question, um, this guy's asking about stopping an animal, um, which I screwed up this past fall with you behind my back. Um, but he says, when the time comes to release an arrow, how do you judge whether to stop an animal or not? Which that's one question of its own. But then he talks, he goes on to talk about when, you know, if you do want to make a stop, do you cow call? Do you whistle? Do you make, you know, like some sort of bleat noise? What do you do? Um, and then, you know, basically, how do you time stopping an animal and releasing a shot, that type of thing? So for me, it comes down to awareness, um, awareness of the animal, like how alert are they? And if I think an animal's relatively stationary um, and definitely unaware, I want to remain as quiet as possible and not make any awareness like i don't want to make a noise put them on alert and then have them potentially jump a string and that's even the case for like my background of whitetail hunting um there's been times where you know i've needed to stop a whitetail um but more often than not i don't want to give them any sort of alertness level um what i was going back to with me screwing up was you know last year when we were hunting in idaho steve we had a bull come in didn't have a shot it kind of milled around for a bit. It left. Um, we had guys calling. Cody and Trent were calling. They basically pulled this bull around. It was coming back in, but on a totally different path. Um, it all happened really fast. I didn't have a good yardage because it came in a different path. Didn't have time to range. Only had a small window. And you went to call to stop that bull, Steve. But I released just before then. And so I basically shot before you stopped it um, and did not, it, it's essentially stepped, you know, it wasn't stopped. So I, for me, if I would have known that you would have been stopping that bull, I wasn't sure what you could see. I would have loved to have released that arrow a second later and have that bull stopped, but I didn't. So yeah. What are your thoughts on that whole topic, Steve? Um, yeah, I'm just going to reiterate what you just said. I, I, the bull I killed last year, um, I think if you I would avoid making a noise unless you have to. Um, so if he's just a bull's coming in and they're quiet and he's kind of taking two steps and stopping, if you've got a really wide shooting lane, maybe let him walk half of that and hope he stops on his own. Because if they're coming into calls in general, especially once they get close, you know, they're not like running at you. Uh, <laughs> I mean, sometimes a bull's going to be coming head on, but. Um, 
in general, they're they're slowing down about the time where they think they can see. So they're going to be taking a couple steps, stopping, looking around. Um, yeah. So if I can without if I cannot make a noise, that's better because the second you make a noise, they pinpoint exactly where you came from, and you better shoot uh, within a few seconds. You better be ready to go. Um, and, and they can, you know, you you're not completely SOL, but there's definitely a scenario where they're gonna you cow call. He stops. He's gonna look at you. And basically you're busted. So you either need to shoot or he's going to run off. Um, the bull I killed last year was walking really, really slow. I had a six foot shooting lane and I elected not to make a noise. And I ended up hitting him in the liver and we had to let him lay overnight. So um, I, you know, I reflected back on the, on the shot and the, the sequence and how it all went down. And I'm not sure why I decided not to. I, th- I think it was just a judgment call that he was walking slow enough. It was a 35 yard shot. I had literally, I could see him coming in my peripheral vision. So like my pin was right at the right height that he was just second. He cleared a tree. I let him take one more step and I shot. Um, and I just hit him, you know, I hit him far back and I, and I don't know if that was cause he was moving or, or I made a bad shot. Could have been, um, one or the other or both. Um, but, you know, in hindsight, if I had stopped and shot real quick, I probably would have made a better shot. Um, but that was my judgment call at the moment. So, um, yeah. And then I would say more often than not, you're calling an elk in, you're in timber, you need to make a sound to stop them inside shooting lanes. You know, it's not going to be all open all around you. You've got a little gap between this tree or that tree. Um, I'd say your first good shooting opportunity, you need to stop them and get the shot off. Uh, and when you are in thicker cover, making that noise is going to give you a little bit of a break because hopefully, you know, he's uh, his head is uh, partially blocked or the view of you is partially blocked where you could still see his vitals, uh, but maybe his head's behind a tree or something like that. So you, you get a, you're going to buy yourself a little bit of time there. Um, yeah, that's it, I guess. I'm just going to be as patient as possible, but also um, I know it was, I think it was magazine article i read years ago and it was by randy ulmer and it just said take the first high percentage shot you're presented with you know like maybe if he takes you know he comes into a shooting lane and you've got a you know an 80 90 shot but if he walks another 10 steps you've got you know an even better shot you know i i think he he's suggesting that if you got a good shot you've got that 80 90 shot you feel really good about, you know, stop them and shoot. Um, cause things can go wrong. Winds can shift, things can change. And so as soon as you feel comfortable and confident with it, make it happen versus waiting and waiting and waiting for a perfect shot. And you, and you may not get that opportunity. Yeah. And again, going elk hunting specifically, it all goes back to is even in a situation where you're the shooter, be ready to call. And that doesn't mean you're like bugling in this bull, but be ready to make a cow call, maybe have a read in your mouth, maybe just make that vocally but you as the shooter be ready. Like that's something that I regret from that last encounter of, I knew that I had a limited window. I didn't know what your angle was being behind me, Steve. We had other people in other directions. There's a lot going on. Um, there's like six of us. Um, but ultimately if I would have been more proactive about me stopping that bull from my angle with my shooting window, it could have been a different story. And at the same time, also understand like be careful taking a shot on an elk that's moving because it is really deceiving how big just one of their steps is Um, yeah i mean it's even if they don't look like they're moving fast but they're moving steady like one of their steps is feet like feet um 
And so to I mean, think about that, like, are you comfortable holding off or leading? And yeah, there's a whole lot to that. So ultimately it is obviously best to stop them at the same time for all the reasons we just discussed. You also don't want to make noise if you don't have to necessarily. So there's a lot to it. I mean, it's, and it's all processing in moment, so it can get chaos. I'd say that 35 to 40 yards, anything past that, I wouldn't even dare take a shot while they're moving right Um, inside of 30. Then I, you know, then it's situational. Yeah. Yeah. A lot can happen with an arrow in that time for sure. No, another question. So this guy says, I'll be hunting solo three days at a time for archery elk in Idaho. Just for comfort, not for cooking. Is it wise or okay to build a small campfire to sit around at night? Or is it better not to? What's your opinion? Yeah, I think we've covered this before. Absolutely build a fire. We do it all the time. Yeah, I mean, especially if you're in timber where like, you know, the animals can't see it from across the hill or basin or whatever. I don't even know if that would spook them or not, but um yeah we do it we build fires all the time um and you know i think there's um really have no uh fear i mean uh, unless it's just like flat out early september it's crazy hot there's dry grass all around you i mean uh, you know if you're you're being stupid and dangerous out there to start a forest fire but um yeah we we do it all the time when it's cold and um for cooking I'd just pack a stove, uh, I guess, if that was his question. Yeah, he was uh, saying not for cooking, just for kind of oh, like the comfort of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, even solo. Yeah, solo, that something about a fire just kind of calms you, relaxes you, you know, just makes you feel a little bit more at home. Um, so, yeah, I would absolutely do it. All right, last one for uh, for this. We have others. We'll save them for a future episode. A guy was asking about pros and cons considerations for bipods and do we use bipods for shooting on rifles so i I brought this one up because it was kind kind of timely we were actually shooting last week um and i was shooting off a bipod and then you then wanted to order that bipod afterwards (laughs) (laughs) yeah so bipods um i generally have not liked bipods for hunting situations um, you know, it's one thing if you're target shooting or out shooting steel or what have you, but I just don't like having that weight, that bulk and that interference on my rifle, um, where it's just attached. Um, and so we've, we've had Rob Gearing from Spartan Precision on the podcast. We actually hardly talked about his product. It was more about his story, but he has a bipod that's easy on, easy off. And so to me, that was really appealing of this idea of, I don't want a bipod on my rifle while I'm hunting, but if I have a situation where I have the time to quickly attach it, get set up prone, that type of thing, then it's money. And so for me, his solution is great for that fact alone of how easy it is to go on and off, how light it is, how compact it is. Um, So there's a ton of benefits there. What is, are those the main reasons, I guess, Steve, that you see appeal and that design specifically that Spartan bipod? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, any, uh, let's preface this by you and I are not rifle experts. We're not out there drilling steel at a thousand yards every day. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm a bow hunter and just started dabbling into shooting a gun a little bit. Um, but I think if you go back and listen to our podcast on building backcountry rifle series with Kleckner, Ryan Kleckner, um, you know, I think in realistic hunting situations, where most shots are going to be sub 300 yards, having that bipod on there is more of a nuisance. I know he was a huge fan of 
using, you know, the terrain around you, rocks and tree limbs and your backpack, and you have way more flexibility. A bipod is really only good in certain situations, right? Or you can get laid down prone or maybe you're seating and you got a rock in front of you. But outside of that, there's a lot of times it's just going to get more in the way than actually help you, um, in my opinion. So uh, if you're, uh, I think if you're sitting back and looking at a hunting, a realistic hunting situation, you're going to acknowledge that a bipod's probably only going to be used in at best 30, 40% of your shots. I don't know, throwing a number out there. Yeah, I mean, it, it all depends on terrain, too. Um, you know, even in flatter terrain, you might, you know, your bipod length might not give you clearance to shoot over brush. Or I mean, there's all kinds of scenarios. Yeah. That's why, for me, it's more often than not, n- not ideal. But that ability to quickly have it when yeah. I need it is super freaking nice. Having that Spartan one that you just throw in the side pocket of the pack and you're in the right situation, right, you know. Uh, ground you got you can lay down flat on the ground in front of you and make a shot yeah that's it's awesome and i think it's a obviously you're gonna be super stable and make a great shot but the realistic hunting is going to be steep angles uh ter, you know trees and rocks and there's just gonna be crap in the way laying down on the ground is probably not happening that often so um i think it's important i guess is kind of go all the way back it's important to go out and shoot off your pack don't just go to the range slap your bipod on the ground lay prone and go yeah i can shoot out to 600 yards right like go try to do a 300 yard shot off your backpack or 150 yard shot freehand um and practice those things to to make yourself a better shot sweet steve we'll wrap it up here um thanks for the time even though it was like four days late god we got it yeah. done Hopefully next time we talk, I'm talking about a cool uh, solo mule deer high country kill that happened. So I like that plan. <laughs> I'm hoping for it. 